With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Suma T. Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatsparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks Are Flying, .com. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events, and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today I'm really excited to have coming back to the show for her second time, Kathy Labriola. Kathy is a nurse, counselor, and hypnotherapist. She's been in private practice in Berkeley, California for over 25 years. Her mission is providing affordable mental health services to alternative communities, including the polyamory, kink, LGBTQ communities, and political activists. Kathy is the author of three books, Love and Abundance, The Jealousy Workbook, published by Greenery Press, and The Poly Breakup Book, Causes, Survival, and Prevention, published by Thorntree Press. And she has a new book coming out soon, which we're going to talk about today. Um, She's been a card-carrying bisexual and polyamorous for nearly 50 years. She's a political activist, rides a bike, and lives in a housing cooperative and raises chickens and vegetables. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Kathy. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So great to have you, and it's just been a joy to get to know you um, since we first met and follow your career. And your um, jealousy workbook is really makes the rounds in the polyamory community, and I hear a lot of people recommending it on Facebook groups and so forth, so really proud of you that that book has done so well. And then since we since you were last on my show, the Poly Breakup book came out, and now you are on the verge of releasing Poly Geezers, is that what it's called? That's correct, Poly Geezers. <laughs> the subtitle is uh, Aging in Open Relationships. Okay, Awesome. So other than you coming into your senior years, what uh, what motivated you to, to write about that? Well, there are lots and lots of older people, and by older I mean 55 and up. That's how I define older. Uh, there are lots and lots of older people who either have been in poly relationships for you know even up to 50 years, uh, or and there are lots of other older people who are becoming uh, polyamorous or getting into polyamorous relationships uh, only much later in life. So there are a lot of different ways uh, that older people have happened to uh, be in a polyamorous situation, but uh, I certainly see clients of all ages, but I do see quite a few older poly people, and there's a a lot of particular particular twists to poly life uh, as we age it's a little different than when you're younger so 
uh, I, I really wanted to gather information and get some of that out there into the world about this phenomenon of older poly people. Awesome. Well, I have a lot of questions to ask you about that, so I'm going to really enjoy digging into this topic with you. Um, first, I want to talk about, like, there's people that have been engaging in polyamory for a long time who have eventually become geezers. <laughs> it, uh-huh. like, it does happen like, if you live long yeah. enough. <laughs> like, you've been in it for 50 years, and, you know, the the man... Um, whose partner invented or, you know, came up with the term polyamory, um, basing on his name right now. Uh, Dr. Ken o- Haslam. Oh, I thought it was Oberon, uh, Morning Glory no. Bell. And, oh, no, they didn't come up with the word? No, Dr. Ken Haslam. He's oh, okay. a medical doctor and a oh, kind of poly elder statesman. Uh, okay. Uh, I thought... I thought it was Morning Glory Zell, but it, it's okay. I think many people came up with it at the same time. <laughs> but, uh, she came up with the she came up with the the word polyamory, but polygeezers yeah. was invented by Ken Haslam. I'm sorry if I oh, misunderstood I, which word you were yes, defining. Yes. <laughs> I was talking about polyamory. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. You're correct then. Yes. Sorry. To okay. You. Okay. You are good. correct. So yeah, people like Oberon Zell and you and some of these people that have been practicing polyamory for so long and now find themselves, you know, in their senior years, like what are some of the unique situations and circumstances and issues that they're dealing with, that you you all are dealing with? Well, uh, for one thing, uh, more older poly people seem to be uh, coming out of the closet. There are lots of poly people that have been in very long-term poly relationships, but they have often been somewhat... Uh, closeted or discreet about their lifestyles because, uh, you know, they became poly in an era where, you know, you might lose your lose custody of your children for being poly. Mm-hmm. You might lose your job for being poly. Uh, you might be completely rejected by your family of origin for being poly and be ostracized in your community. Uh, you know, those things still happen certainly nowadays, but uh, polyamory has become much more uh, mainstreamed and much more uh, acceptable. So uh, more people uh, feel comfortable being open about it now. And plus, mm-hmm. you know, older polys, you know, the kids are grown and gone and they're, a lot of them are, a lot of older polys are retired, so they're not worried about losing their job and their parents have died and they're, you know, not worried about, you know, being rejected or they just don't care anymore what people think of them. So uh, it's more likely that they will be out of the closet now than they were, say, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, it sounds like a lot more freedom than maybe they've ever had in their life to be who they are. <laughs> sure, definitely. Uh, and uh, However, it does become complicated but a lot of these folks have recently come out of the closet but now some people are getting old enough to the point where they're considering going into moving into senior housing assisted living or independent senior living uh, and are very concerned uh, that they will face perhaps prejudice or a lot of uh, negative attitudes from other older people and or the staff and uh, so a lot of people are fearful that now they're going to have to go back into the closet if they either want to move into senior housing or if they come to a point where they need to have some assistance and can't really live independently in their own homes. Uh, I've oh, had gosh. An, I've had a number of clients who have come to me and been have said that they 
they know they need to move into senior housing. They're not managing well at home anymore, and they really need more assistance and care, but they have been putting it off for years because they're fearful that uh, their poly orientation and their poly relationships will uh, not be welcomed. And I've heard from many people who have you know, gone around and looked at a lot of these senior places and asked about it, and they have been... I've you know met with some kind of hostile reactions, um, particularly uh, people who are in a triad because a lot of these housing uh, senior housing places have a rule uh, that only two people, a maximum of two people, can live in the apartment, even mm-hmm. though there's not really any legal reason or you know habitability reason that that only two people can live there, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of these places have. Uh, no overnight guest policy. So if you, mm. even if you're in a kind of straight-looking couple, you know, a monogamous-looking couple, but you know one of you has another partner, you're, you're not allowed to have any overnight visitors. So, so you know there are a lot of uh, reasons that people are afraid of moving into senior housing. And, oh my gosh, uh, that's terrible. And I know they've started to build some retirement housing for the LGBTQ plus community. But have you heard of anything for the polyamorous community? There is nothing as far as I can tell. And I I uh, cold called and wrote letters to uh, 25 different uh, senior living places across the country. Uh, wow. And I, on, I, only, I only was able to actually talk to a few people in a few of them because most of them didn't return my calls or didn't want to talk to me or didn't know what I was talking about. And I said, oh, no, of course, we've never had anyone like that here. And mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, only one place, uh, the Hebrew Homes in New York City, uh, that said they would welcome uh, poly people. They didn't really know anything about polyamory, but uh, they are the only senior housing community that I know of in the entire country that has pioneered uh, affection and sex for seniors in senior housing, that they actively encourage seniors in their housing to uh, pursue romantic and sexual relationships if they want to. (laughs) It's not that they're trying to force them to, but uh, they have really made it their business to... uh, really encourage that aspect, uh, sexual and romantic aspect of people's lives that, you know, it doesn't just, you don't just shed that when you get old. Right. Wow, that's just amazing to me that there was only one place you could find that yeah. even acknowledged well, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they didn't really know what polyamory was, but they were, oh, you know, open to it. Uh, you know, and said that they, of course, would, you know, welcome Anyone, and they did say some of their apartments are too small for more than two people, but that they do have some larger apartments. And uh, the there's one other place uh, in uh, Oakland, just called Phoenix Commons. It's it's a senior co-housing community, and it's all you know independent living apartments. They don't really offer any services or care there, so it's really for oh, strictly for independent living seniors. Uh, and uh, the person in charge in the air, uh, uh, Darnell Zimmerman, she told me, she was the only person I talked to that even knew what polyamory was, and she mm. said, uh, yes, we would welcome polyamorous people, and our apartments are plenty big enough for three or four people to live in, mm-hmm. So, uh, but she said they had not had anyone apply or move in there. 
Wow, that's really amazing. Mm. Mm. So, so yeah, she's the only that. one that knew what polyamory is. <laughs> right. Well, if any investors are out there listening, <laughs> here's an opportunity for you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, in so, Hebrew Home, I was impressed with them. In, I was impressed with Hebrew Homes in in what the program they have in terms of encouraging sexuality and romantic relationships into old age. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I'm sure polygeezers also have to deal with partners passing before them. Um, mm-hmm. Those kind of issues. So what what happens to polygeezers when maybe their primary partner dies or or they've had several partners die. Um, what issues have you noticed coming up other than obvious, you know, grief of loss, but what are unique to polyamorous people? Well, there some things about it are are a huge advantage in that uh, I have talked to a number of women who were, uh, who call themselves co-wives uh, that were married to the same husband or, you know, in a triad with the same male partner and when the partner died they were able to comfort each other because they were both grieving for the same person Mm -hmm. they were both widowed at the same time and Mm -hmm. grieving for the same person and you know the one woman said to me like what other widow would ever have that level of support of someone else who understands exactly what you're going through because they're going through the same thing at the same time uh, right. And I've had other other uh, women who have who have been in that situation in a triad with, uh, with the same two two women and one man, where they have said uh, that it was so uh, you know it was obviously heartbreaking and painful that they both were grieving this loss. But this one woman said, well, you know, if you're a sort of a normal monogamous married couple and you're widowed, suddenly. There's no one at the breakfast table. Suddenly there's no one to share a bed with. Suddenly there's no one to talk to. You're all alone. And she said, but I still have my co-wife living with me, and we have meals together, and we do everything together, and so I'm not alone. And so Mm -hmm. that's a huge difference and a huge benefit, even though, you know, of course it's very tragic to lose a spouse or partner. I had... uh, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to mention that, that uh, I had another situation that was the opposite of two two men who were married to the same woman, and they decided to move into senior housing, but they each got their own studio apartment. Uh-huh. And because they were such close friends and hung out together all the time, everyone in the place thought they were gay, and they had to, <laughs> it was hard for them to convince people that they weren't gay. They were just uh, best friends and had been married to the same woman. <laughs> That's great. And I remember once my partner needed surgery, and it was elective surgery, so I had a vacation with my other lover, and my primary partner decided that he was going to move up his surgery date right to when I was going on vacation with my lover. And oh. I was like, oh, man, I planned this for so long. I took time off work. You know, he got his schedule. And now do I have to cancel my whole vacation just because you decided to move up your date? And he goes, no, 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 I didn't want you to. And he just called on his two other lovers and their partners. And he got plenty of support from during his recovery from surgery. And it was just perfect. And so oh, that's great. I'm imagining that polygeezers could also get to rely on 
a village to help care for somebody when they're sick and dying rather than just that one partner having to do everything. Yes, and I see that uh I see that much more in amongst gay male couples and lesbian couples that uh oftentimes it's the couple it's just a couple living together and there's an a long-term outside partner that one of them has. And then uh, one particular situation, a lesbian couple where the one woman had a stroke and her other partner became a huge part of their support system and was uh, always, because the the wife was uh, not able to drive due to a vision problem. So mm-hmm. one woman had a stroke, the other one couldn't drive, neither one could mm-hmm. drive. And so mm-hmm. the other lover became the person who would drive her to doctor's appointments and uh, drive to the grocery store and get groceries, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, I remember the wife telling me, you know, when she got involved with her 10 years ago, I hated her. I was so jealous. <laughs> I was always trying to break them up. You know, I just was, you know, the worst, you know, not being poly type person. Uh, and she said, now I am so grateful to her. I don't know what I, I don't, we, I don't know what we would have done without her. And now I'm truly experiencing compersion. That's beautiful. What an awesome story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad she stuck around despite my best efforts to get rid of her. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if we can just lean into those metamorph relationships instead of seeing them as a threat, it can just bring more love and more community and more family into our life. But our little Mm -hmm. insecurities and all of those those expectations and needs we're trying to get met by our partner get in the way, don't they? <laughs> they certainly do. They certainly can. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting because, uh, you know, one woman said to me, she has two wonderful male partners, and she said to me, you know, when we got into this poly thing and the three of us got together 40 years ago, we were in it for the wild sex, the adventure, the <laughs> excitement, you know, being transgressive and all that, you know, having these, these alternative relationships that, you know, totally pissed off our parents, etc. <laughs> we were not thinking about the fact that, oh, now when we're old, this is going to be a great thing because in her case, she said they took care of all of their uh, aging parents and in-laws, you know, while they were sick and dying, that between the three of them, they were able to take care of each of their mothers who were sick and, you know, uh, quite disabled for years on end. So, uh, you know, with two people, you just don't have the person power to do that. But in Mm -hmm. this case, with three people, they were able to. So, you know, we just didn't realize how great polyamory was going to be in our old age. We were not really thinking about that. (laughs) Right. So what happens when, um, so retirement is is a a big part of being a polygeezer. So what have you noticed about how retirement affects couples when maybe they're spending more time together than they have before? Um, Maybe their issues are coming up more or maybe one of them's retired and the other isn't. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, uh, when one person is retired and the other isn't, often that is, uh, often that can work great in that uh, often the partner who is retired is able to spend time with their other lovers when their partner is at work 
uh, so that they can have more time in the evenings and on the weekend with their partner at home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that way, the outside relationships are not as not ex- really affecting the partnership at home nearly as much. And that often is that's often how people do it, you know, just to make it easier. And it's not like anyone's lying about anything. It's just, you know, when someone's at work, uh, they're they're not as aware of it. So that sometimes can create big problems later when both, when that partner that's out at work, when they retire, suddenly it becomes a lot more obvious to them how much time you're spending with other partners. And they suddenly will say, well, well, I'm home now, and I'm retired now. Why aren't you spending this time with me? You know? right. uh, I'm available now. <laughs> but the partner will gently remind them, well, you know, the reason I was seeing them during the day when you're at work is so that we could have all of our evenings together. I was doing this for your benefit. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, if you, if I'm going to not be seeing them during the daytime, then I'm going to have to spend some evenings with them, and we're not going to have as many evenings together. So, you know, so that's sometimes the person doesn't even really remember that, well, that's why we set it up this way in the first mm-hmm. place. You know, and I think even though, you know, your partner's aware that you have other lovers, they're aware you're spending time with them, you're telling them, oh, yeah, I saw so-and-so today, uh, but they, it's just not in their face the way it mm-hmm. is when they're sitting at home and you're about to go, you're getting dressed up to go out on a date with your other right. partner. You know, right. So that can create some tension as well. Uh-huh. And retirement seems to create a lot of, stress and difficulty for someone who is the hinge or at the V point in a triad. Mm-hmm. If if one partner has two lovers but the those two lovers don't have other partners, uh if uh, oftentimes that person who's at the hinge, the only time they can ever get any alone time at all <laughs> is when the partners are at work. Mm-hmm. But if the partners retire then suddenly the dynamic has changed and that person who's at the V point or the hinge has to actively negotiate to get any alone time at all. Mm-hmm. Otherwise mm-hmm. they're really overwhelmed and really like not getting any downtime at all. Right, right. And what mm-hmm. about so when you... two... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, what oh, about well... when two people are home more than they've been because they're they're used to working, um, does it bring up maybe some issues and incompatibilities? Uh, It's not so much that they're both at home. Uh, It's more that oftentimes when people are busy, very busy working and, you know, raising kids and just totally busy, exhausted, stressed out, they're not as focused on whatever problems or incompatibilities might be going on in their relationship. They just have too much else that's going on to really focus on that. But when you're retired, you can easily start to notice more what those incompatibilities are. There's a combination of you have more time to think about it and notice it, and because you're around each other more, those incompatibilities are coming up more often. Uh, And it's it's a combination of those two factors. And the third factor that is that a lot of people just have the belief or the expectation that they're going to be a lot happier after they retire from work. Mm 
And so if they're noticing these incompatibilities that are making them less happy in their relationship, they just have a higher expectation of being happy both in relationships as well as just in life in general after they retire. Mm -hmm. So uh, their expectations have changed, so then that may create more problems that need need to be worked out. Mm -hmm. And there's one other... yeah, there's one other factor there, and that is that uh, people often, I, I always tell people, before either of you retires, you really need to talk through very carefully and at length what your expectations are of each other and of your relationship after retirement. Because a lot of people have the attitude that, well, well when we retire, of course we'll spend all our time together. But your partner may not agree. Your partner may have the expectation, oh, uh, it's going to be great when I retire. Then I can pursue hobbies and other things that I want to do in life. Uh, and they're not thinking I'm going to be spending a lot more time with their partner. They're thinking, well, I'd like to spend about the same amount of time that I'm spending now. So you, it's important to you know get those expectations out on the table and try to make some kind of compromise. I see that a lot with couples, that one person in the couple thinks, oh, retirement means we can spend all our time together, and the other person Mm -hmm. thinks retirement means I have more free time to pursue my own hopes and dreams and things I want to do. Well, hopefully if they've been poly for a while, they've gotten good at communication and, you know, defining things. So (laughs) it's just another phase of that. (laughs) Uh Uh And so what about... um, how has the pandemic affected poly elders? Because I, I know that, you know, the elderly people were more at risk of getting COVID and there was more isolation. So how has that affected the polyamory community? Well, it's had a huge impact on the poly community in general. And in some ways, the younger poly people are more directly affected because a lot of them have lost their jobs and the kids were home from school for a year and you know a lot of them were working at home and uh, so you know they were had more they uh, often took more of a financial hit and more of a, a stressors on them uh, but older poly people were affected in uh, some different ways uh, particularly in that Um, Because uh, so many, I mean, just being older, we're at higher risk, of course, for COVID just by being older. Uh, And, you know, people, elderly people and uh, older people are the, have been the the key victims of this virus, much more vulnerable to it, uh, to getting it and much more vulnerable to dying from it if we get it. Uh, But because of that, a lot of poly people have had the challenge of, weighing the uh, increased risk that is inherent in having more than one partner and having to decide do they want you know are they going to not see other partners if they're in a uh, marriage or living together relationship a lot of couples just made a kind of a you know a decision to not see other partners at all just when you think about the risk you've got you know if you're seeing one other partner and your partner is seeing one other partner and each of them has a partner or each of them has other partners i mean they're just the the risk is kind of exponentially uh increasing <laughs> uh 
And um, so a lot of couples had made that decision. Uh, many of them changed that decision when the vaccines came out. Uh, but a lot of relationships did not survive that nine months to a year uh, in between the beginning of COVID and the, when the vaccines started coming out. Because uh, if you're in a relationship with someone and they essentially tell you, well, my partner and I have decided that, you know, I can't see you for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually that just, to a lot of people, eventually that is like, well, we've broken up. You know, I haven't seen yeah. this partner for nine months. So that's essentially the end of the relationship. And some people just got fed up and after three, four months said, well, forget it then, you know, let's just break up. Uh, whereas, you know, many people were totally understanding about that and said, well, yeah, we, I don't want to increase my partner's risk or the risk to my partner's partner. And this is the most devastating primarily to older women who are in relationship, in poly relationships with a, a man who's married uh, because that they're the ones who are the most likely not to be able to see their partner and they essentially have become single because a lot of these mm-hmm. women were in poly relationships with the husband a husband but the husband has died you know years ago so uh now they really are, are essentially single and very very isolated and a lot of them are retired so they're isolated already and uh, all their activities that they would normally do have been you know were completely prohibited for almost a year so uh for that first almost a year, you know, a lot of these women were extremely isolated, very depressed, and, you know, going through a a real emotional crisis. Mm. Yeah, well, I think I was one of them, because I ended a relationship in March of 2020, and um, I have been traveling a lot, so my relationships were all with kind of like I was someone's secondary or third, you know, because I was popping Mm -hmm. in and out of town. And they all decided to shelter in place with their primaries. And so I was like, uh-huh. like I played, played, was playing musical chairs and like, whoop, no chair for you. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was pretty challenging. But I eventually came to Hawaii where I had a community here and lots of people to What's cuddle it? with. And... Uh-huh. I didn't hear. What, sorry, I missed what you said. Oh, I just eventually I came to Hawaii where I had a community and I could land with some people and get my touch and sensual needs met here. <laughs> but for a while there, oh. it, was, it was a lot of isolation for me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. I'm me. glad that you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think it's just been. Uh, I mean, I think that it's. I don't mean to say it's only women that are having this happen but it's it seems it's certainly more of the majority of older women that find themselves in that position where mm-hmm. they're you know either their their husband or long-term partner has died uh and they are in a relationship with a married uh or cohabiting man and that then suddenly they're not able to see them for a long period of time and and most couples you know changed that rule as i said once once everyone was vaccinated but because a fair number of elderly people have you know underlying health problems that are serious uh, and put them at even greater risk for covid you know some couples just decided no we we still can't see our other outside partners because it's just right. too risky 
Yeah, I want to talk even about with vaccination. The, yeah, I want to talk about the health problems. But first, in case people are joining us late, I just want to let you know you've, you've, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Suma T. Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatsparks.com. And we're speaking with Kathy Labriola, the author of the upcoming book, Polly Geezers, also known for her other books, The Jealousy Workbook and Love in Abundance, and the Polly Breakup book, Causes, Survival, and Prevention. Um, so if you have any questions for Kathy, please feel free to, to give us a call now. You won't interrupt us. You'll, you'll just be put on hold, and we'll get to your call at the right time. The call-in number is 657-383-1132. Again, that's 657-383-1132. So, yeah, let's um, let's talk about coping with health problems and disabilities and medical conditions because that does happen as our body ages. And so how do poly people continue to have a great sex life as, as we age? Well, it definitely uh, involves a little more thought and planning. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, as older people, we do have some challenges in, you know, uh, having good sex as we get older. Uh, between uh, the men developing erection problems and uh, women uh, developing a, a vaginal pain because of. Uh, Menopause and the lack of estrogen causes the opening to the vagina to t- tighten a little bit and become less uh, less elastic. So all these are two of the key things, but there are plenty of other things that interfere with our sex life and uh, everything from just having aches and pains from I don't know arthritis and other medical problems that have nothing to do with sex but get in the way of really being able to relax and enjoy sex uh, to uh, just uh, fatigue and not having the energy for it. So uh, there are a, a lot of challenges that can be dealt with as long as they, as long as we have open, honest communication and are able to express our needs and and work with our medical providers to uh, get the medical help we need. Uh, certainly. You know, plenty of men of all ages use Viagra and other uh, drugs for erection problems, but older men in particular are are likely to need that more. And, you know, that's complicated enough if you're in a monogamous relationship, but for poly men, having to kind of think ahead and time their medication appropriately, as well Mm -hmm. as even timing your dates appropriately, even men that don't have uh, much of an erection problem, as they age, there's a much longer refractory period where mm-hmm. uh, when you're young, you can have sex, you know, three or four times in a night. But as men age, it's likely that they're not going to be able to get a reliable erection again for at least a couple of days because that refractory mm-hmm. period is longer. So uh, I've had <laughs> men telling me that... Um, when they were married, and they got a new girlfriend, and then they had trouble getting an erection with their wife. And the wife is saying, well, what's wrong? You don't like me anymore. You're not attracted to me. You like the new girlfriend. And it just turns out that he just didn't time his dates appropriately. So mm-hmm. uh, he was having sex with the girlfriend, but then the next day he couldn't 
have an erection and have sex with his wife. So just had to time his dates a little farther apart and make sure that right. was, that was not going to interfere with his having satisfying sex with his wife. So those are just, you know, some of the things that people are dealing with. Yeah, but it seems like, you know, it can be a great big silver lining to kind of take the pressure away from having to have PIV, you know, intercourse and have that be the main focus because there's so many other things that we can do to create pleasure and intimacy. So if you can just, like, let each other off the hook from having to, quote, perform in the way that maybe you did when you were in your 20s and 30s, and like explore other things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and most poly people are good at that anyway. You know, most poly people don't wait till they get old to explore all kinds of sexual activities that don't necessarily involve, you know, a penis inserted into a vagina. So, uh, <laughs> but as we age, you know, we have to have those conversations, even if we have somehow <laughs> not been really exploring those things earlier on. But as I say, most poly people, you know, already are comfortable talking about sex. That's a big uh advantage that we have we're comfortable talking about sex or much more comfortable than most monogamous people anyway uh, talking about you know uh, sexually transmitted infections and talking about condom use and all of those things talking about you know other partners and you know we, we just have a, a much better vocabulary and are much more used to having to have those kind of difficult conversations so this yeah, is really no different guy. I noticed as I got to be, you know, I don't know if it was my late late 40s, but definitely by my 50s, I needed lots of pillows. <laughs> I needed lots of pillows. <laughs> you know, like, oh, we're going to do this position now? Okay, let me grab these two pillows. <laughs> so my partner and I would laugh like, oh, we need to make a video, like ergonomics for old people having sex. <laughs> so sometimes it helps. Helps a lot just to have that extra support for your body because it's it's hard to hold yourself in a position for a long time. <laughs> yes, definitely. No, I, I'm I'm eager to watch that video when you make it. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, and also well, there's I another when I was way younger, that we're, I could. Um, what's that? I was gonna say Sorry. when I was younger, I could play with um, rope bondage and like get tied up in these certain positions, and now it's like. Uh, after like 30 seconds, I'm like, no, I can't stay in that position anymore. So there's, uh-huh. there's definitely some limitations uh-huh. to kink at this point in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, I was going to say there's another, we have another major advantage as poly people in terms of sex because uh, I've talked to many individuals and couples where one partner uh, sometimes it's a male, sometimes it's a female partner. Uh, it has either is has too many uh, physical ailments and disabilities to want sex anymore, or to really be able to uh, have sex just due to physical pain and limitations. And if you're in a monogamous relationship, that just means, wow, you're going to be in a celibate relationship. But if you're poly, you can 
communicate with your partner and say, you know, I just don't think I can have sex anymore. It's too painful and uh, or I'm just feeling too ill and it's just not a priority. So go out and have sex with your other partners. You know, So that is a big advantage because lots of monogamous couples, their sex life just ends because mm-hmm. uh, one it ends permanently because one person develops some kind of physical uh, health problem or disability and sex is just off the table. And or they just lose interest in sex, they lose their sex drive. That certainly had happened too. I I work with a lot of lesbian couples where one partner after menopause will just lose interest in sex completely, either just no libido or just not feeling well enough physically for it, and the other partner is able to go out and have other lovers. Often already will have other partners so they can uh, then you know, have their sexual needs met there. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the monogamous the, I, people are just sorry. Yeah, they're just out of luck. But yeah, that was yeah. the first like a rash of clients I had were in that in that um, category where one person didn't want to have sex anymore, and so the other person was like, "I love you, I don't want to leave you, but I don't want to also give this up for the rest of my life. So how can we make this work?" in a way that's honoring to you. So they had not been poly before, but they wanted to learn how to do it in a way that was honoring. So I kept getting clients in that category when I first started doing poly coaching. It was amazing how many I got that wanted to learn how to do it respectfully. Uh-huh. Yeah, that that is a, often a, a a very strong motivator because mm-hmm. why divorce and break up if everything else is is fine about the relationship. Exactly, yeah. They have built this whole life together, this whole home and family and community and maybe a business, and why dismantle all that just because this one thing isn't working? You know, we really do ask a lot of our partners in the monogamy default world. You know, they're supposed to be everything to us, including our, you know, business partner, best friend, sleeping partner. You know, some people don't even want to sleep with their partner, right? Have you noticed that when people get older, like, they have sleep issues and they might want to separate where they sleep? Yes, that happens a lot. And um, I've had a number of uh, clients, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, where some clients have just stopped having overnights with their outside partners because they just don't sleep as well as if they just stay at home and sleep in their own bed. Mm-hmm. And then certainly some partners, even if they're living with someone or married to someone, they'll sleep in separate rooms if, they, if they've developed some kind of uh, health problem or they just have insomnia. Uh, or uh, in many cases, people snore. And if I, I can't get any sleep, my partner snores, I have to sleep in a separate room. Uh, or I'm, I'm not going to stay overnight with my outside partner because I know I'm going to snore and keep them awake. So I'll just go home at 10 p.m. or, you know, we'll just have a date during the daytime. <laughs> so. Right. And so what about yeah. when, um, let's let's meld this into your previous book and kind of touch on both of them at the same time. Like what if um, these issues around low libido, these issues around retirement or health lead to people needing to break up? Um, in their senior years. How does that show up? Well, it sometimes does happen. It's usually not related to polyamory. It's related to some kinds of incompatibilities that have been there all along that Mm -hmm. will cause them to finally decide, well, I'd probably 
be happier separating and living my life on my own. And it, it's usually, as I say, not really caused by or related to polyamory. Uh, they may have other partners, uh, but it's not like they're leaving their spouse for another partner. It's mm-hmm. usually that there's been some long-term problems in the relationship and they just eventually decide they can't solve them. Usually they go to couples counseling or really do a lot of work to try to resolve them because they've been together a long time. Uh, but sometimes people just have to decide that, well, I'm just likely to be better off on my own. And, mm-hmm. you know, that can be very hard, especially I've seen a number of couples that uh, it created, for lack of a better word, a public relations problem for them because they were seen as role models in the poly community mm-hmm. of a long-term poly couple that's been together 30 years or 25 years or 40 years. Oh, why are you breaking up? Oh, you know, They feel like somehow they're letting down the poly community by breaking up, even though usually, as I said, the, the issues have really nothing to do with polyamory. Mm-hmm. And do you find that people with experience with polyamory that the I don't even like to use the word breakup in my coaching because it, it has such a violent connotation to it because we, we can really, if we're speaking our truth and listening to our partner's truth and holding our boundaries, we can just transition to some other way of loving. So how uh-huh. do you, what, what do you teach? I haven't read your book yet, the Poly Breakup book. So what is the couple of good tips on how to survive that? Well, uh, Elizabeth Sheff, who's written a number of great books, one's called The Polyamorists Next Door, uh, she talks about what she calls uh, polyaffectivity. And what she means by that is that uh, two people either were in a relationship and now they are separating from being in a romantic relationship but they still are in a polyaffective relationship because they may have transitioned out of the sex and romance part, but they want to stay in a, in a close relationship. Either if they're younger and they're raising children together, they want to continue living together and raising the children together, even if they may have transitioned to other partners uh, as being the primary partner. Uh, if they're older, they may decide to continue living together, but just uh, transition from not being, from being uh, partners to being like best friends or family members, or they may Mm -hmm. decide to move separately, but continue a close relationship because they have adult children and grandchildren, and they have a group of friends that are, have been close to them for many years. So uh, it can happen in in a number of different ways. So sometimes it's going to be a very painful and negative experience because one person is absolutely not on board with it. One person decides they really need to leave the relationship. The other person is not doesn't want to let go. So then that's a lot harder to make it a positive transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've I've done that with my last long term partner. We I call him my post romantic partner. So uh-huh. still, I still feel like he's a life partner, but we're just on uh-huh. the other side of the romantic sexual expression, but we still love each other as much, if not more, and we have hobbies that we share and stuff. So, yeah, that was a really great example of how, you know, somebody who meant so much to me doesn't have to go away. There's no break. 
There's just a dance into something else. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, in my experience, uh, gay male couples and lesbian couples are the champs at this. Mm-hmm. They are much, much, much better at this than straight people are, partly because, you know, for so long, you know, they were completely ostracized by their families and their lovers and ex-lovers are really their only family and mm-hmm. so the ex-partner was often it was often assumed we're going to transition to being best friends might even continue living together owning a home together um or might live separately but we're going to be best friends and that's the person who is you know going to take me to the hospital when i need to get to the emergency room and you know that's a really a, a there's just such a long tradition of that. I think straight people have a much more of a tradition of thinking, you know, you break up and you're supposed to hate each other and you know, <laughs> and your friends and your friends and family members are all supposed to take sides and oh yes, he's mm-hmm. an evil bastard, you know. He done you yeah. wrong and you know. So I, I think that it's just a very different approach to mm-hmm. to relationships. To to feeling in in the L G B T community of feeling like this person has shared such an so much of my life with me and this person is so important in my life i, I would be crazy to lose them and, and, and just say goodbye so the, yeah they can't just assume <laughs> that they're never going to see the person again because they're in the in a small relatively small community compared to the straight world <laughs> so you kind of have to figure it out because you're going to run into each other and next thing you know your friend's going to be dating them or someone you know is going to be dating them <laughs> It's kind of like the poly community. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're going to run into them in a lot of places. If you if you live in the poly world, you're going to run into your exes in a lot of places. Yeah, and so you better you like might that. as well try to try to make a positive uh, transition. Right, right, right. So before we run out of time, I wanted to touch a little bit on um, a little bit more about some of the um, issues that you've helped. Um, people with during the pandemic um, because I know it's been really hard on relationships. Um, We're all under a lot of stress in general, not knowing how long this thing's going to go, what's going to happen, the economy, the political divisions, just all the craziness out there. So we're all under this this stress. It's just in the field. And then we're all staying home more and we're on top of each other a lot if if we're in a domestic relationship. So can you speak to how frequently you've been dealing with couples that are facing these issues? Yeah, as, uh, as I was saying earlier, the relationships that have been most likely to break up are relationships where someone is involved with someone who's in a in a couple, and then that person who's not living with their partner is being excluded and Mm -hmm. those are the relationships that have been i've seen that are most likely to break up uh as well as a lot of a lot of poly people as you know have long distance relationships at least uh, oftentimes they'll have a spouse they're living with and maybe uh another long distance relationship that's someone in another state or you know even farther away even overseas and they may only see you know see that person a few times a year but uh during covid they couldn't see them at all and so a lot of those relationships also did not survive the pandemic because mm-hmm. they couldn't see each other and you couldn't travel and 
uh, you know, it's hard enough to keep a long-distance relationship going and keep it strong and and happy. It's hard enough to do that if you can at least fly there once or twice a year and spend a couple weeks together. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you can kind of keep the relationship going with phone calls and and on Zoom uh, in the meantime. But but if you just suddenly can't see them at all and you don't even know when you will be able to see them, uh, that a lot of those relationships did not make it either and uh, I know that some monogamous people have long distance relationships but it's just so much more common in the poly community right 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 mm-hmm. but cool. there also have been some you know couples that uh, have just the isolation has been really hard on them uh, on the one hand and, and they're better they're they're better off than people who are living alone and completely isolated during covid because they can't see friends and family uh but uh it has being in a couple and being kind of on top of each other 24/7 uh, also has its uh uh its stresses and uh i've really tried to encourage people to uh, try to spend time apart, even you know if you're in the same house or apartment, you know mm-hmm. if you you know and try to take turns going somewhere, you know going for a walk. You know I think the tendency has been like okay we're we're going to be at home together all day working, uh, or if you're retired at home uh, because uh, of COVID we can't go anywhere, but we'll we'll go and take a walk together, uh, uh, or we'll go and take a bike ride together, as opposed to you know, you need a little time alone. You know, you need to be able to have enough, you know, separation and differentiation that you're actually like eager to see your partner, eager to come home and see them. So, uh, that you know, that's been a real strain on a lot of relationships, and maybe right. those kind of habits that you may have found might have found a little annoying in the past. Suddenly, they're a lot more than annoying if you're being, you know, exposed to those habits all the time. Exactly. So have you worked with couples? You don't usually work with couples, though, do you? You work more on an individual basis? I do work with couples. Yeah. Oh, you do work with couples. Okay. So have uh-huh. you found, I- um, have you had that where you've worked with couples that are really struggling from being together so much, like a little too much togetherness? <laughs> yes, definitely. And that... You know, they, you you start you can start to dislike each other when you're mm-hmm. around each other too much. Even mm-hmm. if you know you're someone, even if you're madly in love with this person, you know you can really start to uh, just to, we just human beings. We just need a break from each other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's hard to get if you're working at home or working from home, or if you're retired and you're at home. Uh, you know, retired couples even before COVID, retired couples had. Uh, you know, have that problem already in that, right. you know, they would, unless they actively pursue separate activities like hobbies or, you know, going places separately or going to see friends and family, uh, you know, they unless they deliberately do that, you know, they just spend way too much time together and it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you well, know, that was you. a problem even before COVID. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, thank you, Kathy, so much for coming back on the show again. It's always so much fun to talk to you, and the time just flies by because you're just a wealth of information. Um, before we run out of time, I want to just give you a moment to, I don't want to be morose, but just, you know, the fact is that we're all going to be geezers, whether we're poly geezers or mono geezers. 
if we're lucky, we get to be geezers. <laughs> because the, al- the alternative is we aren't ever geezers and we die with a nice-looking corpse. So, um, you know, there's such denial in this culture about death and dying. And so I just want to kind of shine the light on that and give you a chance to talk about, you know, the whole process of accepting our own mortality. Can you say a few words about that? Yes. I mean, we don't have any choice, really, but to accept that as we get older, you know, our our friends, our loved ones, our partners, and ourselves are going to be facing death. I think for for most of the what I call the younger elders that are like 55 to 75, they're facing the deaths of their parents and sometimes mm-hmm. siblings mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes friends, but much more so the parents. And, you know, that in itself is a, a very uh, painful and intense process that forces most of us to face our mortality in some way, just knowing, well, our parents are dying and we're going to die too eventually. Uh, But uh, the older elders, what I call the older elders, 75 and up, uh, you know, are facing their own mortality, losing spouses and losing lovers, losing friends, losing siblings, and facing their own uh, deaths by knowing that you know they're in the last you know ten or twenty years of their lives. <laughs> That's just uh, the reality. So uh, I think that most people, once they face their parents' deaths, are in a much once they get through that, are in a much better uh, frame of mind to understand and accept that they also are going to die. I do uh, encourage poly people especially, poly elders especially, to write your will, write your durable power of attorney, uh, write your directive to physicians, because these are ways that you have some control over what's going to happen to you. Uh, You know, facing death is one thing, but facing possibly being kept alive on machines when maybe you don't want to, that's a lot worse of a fate as far as I'm concerned. So, Mm -hmm. you know, write up your directive to physician, fill out those forms saying what treatments you do want and what treatments you do not want so that you, if you're in a coma, they're not going to be able to do some kind of heroic life-saving treatment that is just going to keep you alive for months or years, you know, in a comatose state where you probably don't want to be <laughs> and right. put write down in on your uh in your directive to physicians who you want to make decisions for you medical decisions if you no longer can make them from yourself mm-hmm. because it may be a poly partner that you're not legally married to or legally related to but that's the person you want to make those decisions if you don't write that down and sign it on the dotted line, they're not going to be able to make those decisions. Right. Okay. Thank you. So we just have another couple minutes. So I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners where they can find you to know about your counseling as well as your books. And when will the Polly Geezer book be coming out? Not sure. Probably not till next spring. Not sure yet. Um. Well, I I have a website. It's just kathylapriola.com. And you can reach me on my phone, uh, 510 
841-5307, or you can reach me by email, and my email address is anarchofeminist at yahoo.com. Great. Well, thanks again for coming back on the show, Kathy. It was my honor, and I wish you great success with your book release next spring. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I want to plug your articles on how to have a socially distanced date during COVID. I thought those articles were great, and they are quoted in the Polly Geezer's book. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, people can email me at sumatisparks at gmail.com, and I can send you those if you're interested. All right. Well, thank you, Kathy. Time is up. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.